everyone, welcome to the Identity Trust Pulse, where we bring you the latest insights and trends from the fraud and identity industry. Think you know your fraud fact from your fraud fiction? You might be surprised. Yes, the internet is filled with information about fraud and suggestions on how to avoid it, but you might find that a lot of the conventional wisdom is peppered with myths, misunderstanding and misconception. I'm your host, Pratik Chowdhury, and in this episode, I've invited Barul Sharma, Senior Director of Professional Services at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Today, we're going to help debunk several of the most common myths associated with fraud. Barul, thank you for joining us. Firstly, how are you and uh, where in the world are you? Hey, Pratik, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm doing extremely well. I'm based out of San Jose, and it's a super sunny and a hot day for us. Now that makes a change from London. It's quite uh, gloomy here, as you'd expect. Thank you for joining us uh, once again. Um, let's crack on. So as I mentioned previously, we're going to be talking about the common myths associated with fraud. So let's jump right in. There are a number of misconceptions around fraud and cybercrime, which often leave businesses vulnerable. Let's start with a popular myth. It is easier or cheaper to write off fraud than to prevent it. We need to set matters straight here. What are the facts around the real cost of fraud? That's an excellent question, Pratik, and I'm going to bust the myth for you. LexisNexis Risk Solutions, we produce a report which is called True Cost of Fraud. And as per that report, there has been spike in fraud and cost of e-commerce. There has been a rise of about 34.4% in the cost of fraud, and there has been 140% increase in the volume of attacks. So if you think about it, fraud is increasing day by day, and so is the number of attacks. Now let's talk a little bit about cost of fraud. So for every $1 of fraud, it costs about $3.6 on an average, and this amount is increasing year by year so which basically means fraud is expensive it's not easy to write off fraud so it's a choice that our customers have to make whether they want to write off fraud but i just want to make sure that we all understand we're not really writing the one dollar of fraud that we lost we're we're writing off three to four times more than the money that we lose in fraud so what do we do I suggest that we change the lens a little bit and instead of focusing on the the fraud or writing off fraud, let's focus on what happens when we are building the right workflows for our customers. While we are focusing on preventing fraud, if we also start focusing on two things, providing our customers a better experience, And when I say our customers, I really mean consumers. So helping our customers provide a better experience to their consumers and helping our customers building a reputation of being hard on fraudsters. If we are looking at things from those two lenses while we are focusing on fraud, not only is it going to be more cost effective for us to prevent fraud, but it also is probably going to create a potential for us to bring more revenue for our customers. So in the current world, when there is a fear of recession, we want to make sure that we are not losing a lot of money. So the times are challenging. Businesses have an opportunity to rethink their fraud mitigation strategy. 
Neobanks that are struggling to bring profit needs to consider everything that is eating into their profit, and fraud is among those variables. So as I said, the myth is busted. Fraud is not cheap to write off. It is maybe easier to write off fraud, but if we just ch change the lens and we focus on fraud in a slightly different way, we can prevent fraud while providing a better experience to the consumers and also helping our customers build a reputation of strength and being hard on fraud fraudsters. Yeah, that's a good point you make. I mean, our research shows that the true cost of fraud actually globally, APAC, EMEA, LATAM, and across all the industries, you mentioned one there, fintech, but across the legacy banking, across e-commerce and retailers, true cost of fraud is you know three to four times higher than the actual uh, transaction value so you're you're very right there brilliant thank you for that um our second common misconception that businesses have or might have we just need to focus on one use case to prevent fraud um why is this not the case and why is fraud actually more complex to tackle and let me just a little bit more context around that right um in the industry where I've heard this the most is uh, e-commerce and when it comes to actually making a payment rather than logins and uh, new account originations. So why do you think it is important to focus on all of the uh, customer touch points rather than just one to prevent fraud? Excellent point, Pratik. So the myth is let's just focus on one use case, which is the payment use case, because that's really the point where our customers lose money or make money. That's really where fraudsters monetize. So you're right that one use case is super duper important, but there are things that we can do before the fraudster or the good user interacts with the website digitally. So if we do our due diligence on other use cases, like when the user signs up or when the user logs in to make it an easier experience for the consumer, but also to make sure that we have all the touch points, whether it is login, password reset, or guest checkout, all the potential logins where the consumers uh, interact with the customer's website. If we have fully secured all those touch points, then we are making it harder for the fraudsters to break into the system. So while payment is the most important use case in terms of uh, the fact that that's the point where the monetization helps uh, uh, happens, but then there is so much that can be done on other use cases. And remember, we are all as strong as our weakest link. So we don't want our weakest link to be a testing point for our customers. So according to our H2 cybercrime report for July to December 2021, we've uncovered how one in every eight password reset leads to fraud. So fraudsters don't care about just the payment use case in particular. They care about getting the information that they need and they use all that information to monetize. And they don't mind testing all your touch points. They don't mind moving from one geography to another, moving from one industry to another, moving from one customer to another, just to make sure that they are able to reach a point where they have enough data to successfully monetize. So that's why I say, you know, when our customers, I've heard it from a lot of customers where they will be like, hey, let's just secure our payment use case. And that's why I say, the myth is busted because it's not just the payment use case that you want to secure. Actually, it's all the other use cases. And if they are secured well, then it just makes it very, very hard for the fraudster to monetize on the payment use case.
Got you. Understood. So a myth that might fall under the wishful thinking category is frictionless workflows exist. Would customers expect a truly frictionless experience knowing that security is at stake? So that's, again, a very good question. And this is the one that I'm very passionate about. So as you said, the myth is uh, frictionless workflows exist. But let me bust the myth for you. I don't think frictionless workflows exist. So and the reason why I say that is I'll just give you one example. So let's say it's not happening. I'm just grossly simplifying it uh, and saying it in a melodramatic way. So let's say if I were to transfer half of my wealth or half of the money that I have in my bank account to a different bank account, would I like a frictionless workflow? No, I want the bank to call me and confirm it is me who's making that transfer. In fact, I would like the bank to invite me to their bank and let me do it in person. So if you think about consumers, I don't think that they are looking for a frictionless experience. And that's why I say frictionless ex uh, workflows don't exist. So the point that I'm trying to make is there are two things that I'm talking about here. One is educating the customer on the importance of security. The good news is most of our customers are very well educated on the security and the risks associated with no OTPs, no friction. So they understand that, hey, if the customer is or the merchant of the bank is asking me for additional details, they're just making sure that I am who I am claiming to be and they are doing it for my own security. Having said that, if I want to, let's say, buy 12 pens for my daughter, daughter's back to school, I don't want you to call me. I don't want you to ask me to come to the store to personally buy those pens. No, make it frictionless for me. Just do it. Make it convenient. Make it quick. So it really depends on what and in what capacity are you interacting with our customers' websites, whether it's a bank or a retailer or a dating website, whatever that is. So it's important to understand what my expectations as a consumer are. And that's why I tell most of our customers that let's focus on four things. Let's focus on the end-to-end -end journey of your consumers. Let's look at that. Let, let's put that journey, end-to-end -end journey under a microscope. Let's think of potential types of fraud that could happen on all those touch points where the consumer is interacting with your website. And I just want you to know that I'm completely focused on the digital part of the business. Just a disclaimer. So moving on, moving on. The first thing was end to end journey of the consumer. The second thing was understanding types of fraud and every on every touch point where the end user or the consumer can potentially interact with our customer's website. And the third thing is understanding from our customers what is their risk appetite. And the fourth thing is understanding their consumer's expectation on experience. I won't call it friction. I will call it consumer's expectation on friction, amount of friction that they are willing to tolerate during that transaction. So as I said, I don't think frictionless workflows exist. I think the best thing for our customers is to create or build workflows which will add optimal friction, make it harder for a bad user, make it easier for a good user. But there is no one uh, size fits all kind of an approach. So with that, I'll just say one last thing. Whenever we think of fraud, I think we need to change our lens. We need to not only just look at fraud, we need to also look at better experience for our consumers. We need to also look at helping our customers 
protect their reputation. We don't want them to be, you know, um, a place where fraudsters are testing credentials. We don't want that. We want them to make it harder for the fraudsters and earn that reputation. And in the process, we also want our customers to reach out to multiple stakeholders because fraud is just one component. And I completely understand why our customers ask us, hey, I just want a frictionless workflow for our consumers because they have that pressure of consumer retention. They have the pressure of consumer acquisition because in today's world, consumer loyalty is very important. And it's a, it's a big challenge for businesses and in particular for financial institutions and retail industries where they want their consumers to stay their consumer, right? They, they don't want them to move from one merchant to another. So retention is a huge problem. That's why I'm saying that when we look at the problem from the lens of fraud, we should probably broaden our lens. We should think about customer retention. We should also think about customer acquisition. We should get the right teams in a room, like the marketing team, the customer retention team, maybe also the compromised account management team. And then we should work on a work, we should work on a workflow which makes sense to all of these multiple stakeholders. So that's what I usually suggest my customers don't look at it from one lens and there is no such thing as frictionless workflows. But before I finish my response, I just wanted to share one statistics. Victims of identity fraud are three times more likely to leave their primary financial institution when they feel that their fraud issue was not resolved by their bank, according to a Javelin study. So that's just an example of if my account is defrauded, I'm probably never coming back to that financial institution as a consumer. So there are more repercussions. So that, that, that's all. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right in general. Um, and because now companies are truly global in a sense where their customers are all around the globe, I think in some geographies that is friction is expected right? Um, a little bit fiction in the shopping journey is expected. Another one for you here to bust. We can fight fraud on our own. Um, something we've both heard in the past. Can any business really do it alone and prevent fraud in a silo? That's a great question. And in my opinion, the answer is no. It takes a network to fight the network. Fraudsters are not defrauding different merchants and financial institutions on their own. In fact, most of the fraudulent use cases that I see, it happens quickly. And once they have broken into the merchant system or the financial bank system, or once they get hold of breached identities, they're very quick because they know that they have a limited time window to monetize either the stolen identities they bought or to monetize a specific strategy that has been successful. And they want all their peer fraudsters to take the benefit because they all know it's a very small window. So make the best use of it. So that's why there you that's why I'm saying we cannot fight it alone because fraudsters are not doing it alone. They have a huge network. They collaborate and they make the best of the situation that they have. And we should do the same thing. The other point is um, fraud is cross industry it's cross geography it is cross use cases it is cross merchants it is cross financial institutions and as i said they are going to test each and every touch point of yours to get the most information they can to eventually monetize that piece of information so that's why i say it's important for 
any organization or any of our customers to join hands and to look at the data collectively. There is a lot of power in the network, but I'll be um, I'll be a little careful when I say that we need a network to fight the network because the value that the network brings to the table really depends on two things. It depends on the quality of the data, meaning I need to clean up my data. I need to make sure that I have the latest up to date information. Example, five, six years back, I had a very, very old iPhone. Today I have iPhone 13. Maybe tomorrow I'll have iPhone 14. So I'm changing my phones and so are many, many consumers. There is no need for us to have information on the phone that I had six years back or the place where I used to live six years back. That's why I'm saying, you know, the information needs to be up to date. And that's where the quality of the network comes into picture. But along with the quality, it is also important that the network that we are leveraging as a customer, it has a huge depth and breadth. So if there are these two things in a global network, then it is easier to fight fraud. So as as you said, myth, we can fight fraud on our on our, on our own. It's busted, not anymore. As you rightly said, Pratik, at some point, it's a global economy. So it's a global economy, it's a digital economy, and we are all behind our devices. No one knows whether it's a good person or a bad person. So it makes sense for all of us to join hands. No, indeed, indeed. No business can, no industry or no business can work at it alone and truly global as well. No one uh, region can do it on their own. Brilliant. I think that is it. Thank you so much, Barul, for taking part in this. Uh, thank you for helping us debunk these myths. To our listeners, I hope you will remain vigilant and keep up to date with the evolving risks and solutions available to mitigate them. You can download the full cybercrime report by visiting the link below in the description. Stay alert, and as always, Make sure you tune in again soon to the Identity Trust Pulse podcast. Thank you. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to and shall not be used as legal advice. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely those of the speakers and don't necessarily reflect the views or position of LexisNexis Risk Solutions. LexisNexis Risk Solutions does not warrant that the information provided in this podcast is accurate or error-free.